0: This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening. That's kind of tough. I think uh, God wants us to be fulfilled and happy in our existence, and He wants the best for us. Mm -hmm. I already know. I already know. I'm good without God. I'm good. I'm a good person without having to be like, I'm godly, I'm holy, I I do what the church says, I give my pittance to the church, I give my 90% or 10% or whatever it is. You don't need to do that, you just need to be good to your fellow men. And that's really what Jesus always trying to say. I've got um, scripture, prayer, and stay in the fellowship. And I think we need to be much better at living in the moment and being with people than getting wrapped around whose opinion is what. You know, I would hope that that it would be to be a good person, you know, to be compassionate, uh, to be thoughtful. Um, you know, I think that, that you know, in, in some of the... Uh, know what the correct terminology is but the older stories of like of of job and of you know that we don't always know the end result we don't know sometimes maybe like what 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 is planned out for us but we just kind of we got to believe you know that there's hope um so yeah i don't know i mean I, i would just hope that 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 if there is a higher power higher being you know, that and I just my hope for everybody as an individual, as a human being, just be a good person, be compassionate, be kind, uh, and be thoughtful. I think if you would be open to that, that yeah. God's out there to accept and want us yeah. to love him and to love each other, yeah. That is. I do yeah. think that light expects that we breathe light. And I do think that love expects that we live love in defiant redemption of what has occurred to us. Well, I, I guess I mean, you know. there are two things. Number one, I think that we are, that the universe has a consciousness and we are evolving towards God. Um, I don't really think he expects something from us. I think it's more of we have these challenges in life and it's kind of how we decide to handle them. I don't think it's really like something he expects from us. Maybe, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. Like of what I believe in and like what I think none of us completely knows so I think he just expects us to be the best person we can be and to be good people which is like non-judgmental and open and I don't know just caring to other people kind person out on the streets of Edmonds and asked a simple question, what does, what does God want from us? If there is a God, what does God want from us? We started by asking the questions, does God exist? We thought about that a little bit, you know, is there a God? And then, then if there is a God, what is God like? And third, we ask, what does God require of us? What does he want from us? There's a few options here. If there is no God, then God can't want anything from us or require anything from us. There's there's nothing required from God. And in fact, some argue that even if there is a God, he's got other things to be worried about. He doesn't really care about how you live your life. It doesn't matter to him or her or whatever that force is, what you do. Many folks mention things like love. God would expect us to love others, to care for others. And not be judgmental. That comes up a lot. Which is interesting, because most folks assume that we understand what we mean when we say not judgmental. But if we mean that God would expect us not to pass any judgments on anything, I don't think that we want to live in that world, right? Somebody who would say, ah, that, that's okay. Somebody's molesting and abusing their children. That's okay. We don't want to be judgmental on that. In fact, it's interesting because folks will say these statements together often when I, when I talk to them. One is, what I have against Christianity is Christians are too judgmental. And what I have against The belief in God is God allows evil and doesn't do anything about it. Did did you catch that? Others when you say, what what does God require of us? will say something like, to live a good life. The issue is here, how do I determine what good is? We heard some answers about to delight in God. And I I think that's right. I think God wants something for us. What we're going to do this morning, is we're going to take some time on... We're going to reflect on what the Bible has to say about what God requires of us. Is that okay? We're not asking that everybody just blindly assume that we are right on this. We're, we're asking you to consider. Let's consider what the Bible has to say. It's interesting. I read Oswald Chambers my utmost for his highest this morning, July 9th. And one of the quotes from it was this. It really is true to say, I cannot live a holy life, but you can decide to let Jesus Christ make you holy. You cannot serve the Lord, but you can place yourself in the proper position where God's almighty power will flow through you. They ask this question, is your relationship with God sufficient for you to expect Him to exhibit His wonderful life in you? Now let me say this. Most of us, understand that there are things about our life that need change. Is that not true? And we really, really do have a choice. We're either either going to be excuse makers or grace takers. Grace is receiving an undeserved gift from God of forgiveness and new life and transformation. Excuses are, it's not my fault, it's my parents' fault, it's my circumstances' fault, it's the president's fault, I don't know, it's somebody's fault, but it's not mine. And I, and I think in our lives as we're speaking today, the, the alarm clock is going off in many of our lives. Kyle Eidelman talks about the wake-up call of, of God being like an alarm clock, or the alarm on your phone going off. And what happens when the alarm on your phone or your alarm clock goes off? You have a choice, don't you? Option one, totally ignore it. Try to roll over, which will only work so long if you're married before your spouse kicks you and says, turn that thing off. Option two, hit snooze. Buy yourself another nine minutes. Some people, that's what they do. They, they feel guilty. You, you know you shouldn't have had that one more drink last night. You shouldn't have clicked on that pornography. You shouldn't have gossiped. You shouldn't have yelled. You know that. But the, the idea is, I, I'll just hit snooze a little bit longer before I really deal with it. I'll, I'll deal with it tomorrow or next week. There's some time I'm gonna, I'm going to deal with that. But I'm not going to deal with it right now. The third option is to awake, right? To wake up, turn the alarm off, and and after we awaken, the next step is to become aware. Is that true? Has anybody here ever been so deep in sleep that when the alarm clock went off, you couldn't remember what day it was or what you had to do for the day? Right? So some, sometimes I'll t- I'll take my my phone will go off, the alarm will go off, I'll turn off the alarm, and sometimes I'll flip over to my calendar and try to remind myself what I need to do today. Let's get moving. Right? Awaken, aware. Pal Adam and also took, talked about the third thing. After you've been awakened and you become aware, you need to do what? Take action. it's really important that we understand what's going on around us. For example, it'd be a bad thing if you were mistaken and what you thought was your alarm clock was really the smoke detector going off in the house, right? It's really important that we're aware. No, no, I say that because there's so many folks that are trying to tell us that we're basically good people, that our motivations are basically pure and good. And the problem is we just had a bad day or we're in a bad mood or we've been placed in bad circumstances, but we're all right, we got this. Just a little more self-effort and we'll, we'll fix it. This has been a problem for years. Machen wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism. He said this in it Modern preachers are trying to bring men into the church without requiring them to relinquish their pride. They're trying to help men avoid the conviction of sin. The preacher gets up into the pulpit, opens the Bible, and addresses the congregation somewhat as follows You people are very good. He says, you respond to every appeal that looks towards the welfare of the community. Now we have in the Bible, especially in the life of Jesus, something so good that we believe it's good enough even for good people like you. Such is modern preaching. It is heard every Sunday in thousands of pulpits. But it is entirely futile. Even our Lord did not call the righteous to repentance, and probably we shall be no more successful than he. Machen wrote that in 1923. He went on to say that liberalism finds salvation, as far as it's willing to speak of salvation at all, in man. Christianity finds it in an act of God. Now, I want to just stop and make a, a parenthetical thought here. Machin also calls our attention to. He says the Bible does certainly teach that the good that is already in man ought to be fostered in order to check the evil whatsoever things are true and pure and of good report. We ought to think of those things. Certainly the principle of overcoming the world's evil by the good already in the world is a great principle. The old theologians recognized it to the full in the doctrine of common grace. So if you're a theologian, we we talk about common grace. So God has granted his favor upon us that even people who reject Christ, there'll, there'll be some good things that they'll do. True? Jesus said, even if you be evil men, if you being evil men know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? So the, we, we believe in common grace. There is something in the world, even apart from Christianity, that which restrains the worst manifestations of evil. And that's something that something ought to be used. Without the use of it, this world could not be lived in even for a day. The use of it is certainly a good principle. It will certainly accomplish many useful things. But there is one thing which it will not accomplish. It will not remove the disease of sin. Do we believe that? It goes on to write, What is really needed is... It's not, a slot, it's not a solve, it's not excuse me, an ointment to remove the symptoms of sin, but a remedy that attacks the root of the disease. Does that make sense? In other, other words, a lot of these things aren't going to get at the root. Now it's interesting, he goes on to write, it is strange how interest of an utterly false kindness to men let me reread that i'm sorry i misread it it is strange how in interest of an utterly false kindness to men christians are sometimes willing to relinquish their loyalty to the crucified lord in other words we we go about and and when we talk about what god requires what god wants from men we're we're more concerned about what people think about us than we are about them or about the glory of God. Does that make sense? If you, if you go into a doctor and you've got cancer, but he thinks it's going to hurt your feelings or she thinks it's going to hurt your feelings to tell you you have cancer, and so instead they say, you're, you're fine. Just get some rest and take some vitamins. They're not really loving you, are they? And if we say to men and women, you know what God requires of you is this just keep doing what you're doing. You're a great person, it's gonna be okay. We misrepresent the gospel message. What does God require? What does God want from us? Point one, God requires perfection. Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is, what's the word? Perfect, complete. Now I want to say that it's not only what he requires, it's what he wants. He he wants completion, perfection. Point two. No one is perfect. Everyone is a sinner who does evil. Everyone that you meet, everyone we talk to falls short of the glory of God. Let's look at Romans 3, 7 through 26. Starting at uh, verse 7, chapter 3. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderous charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we already charge that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their past are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now I want to stop here and make make this point because when I was little I believed that that God was distant and there wasn't really a relationship to him that I had. But he had these rules. And But basically, you would get into heaven if you were basically good. It's kind of this scale. If you had more good deeds than bad deeds, you're okay, you're in. But we've just read the scripture, it says nobody on their own human effort of trying to live according to the laws of God is going to get into heaven. Verse 21. forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation, moving the righteous anger of God against our sin it was removed by the blood of Christ. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God requires perfection. No one is perfect. Point three: God provides perfection for His people. You catch that? Hebrews 10:14, "For by a single offering He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Philippians three twelve. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Philippians one six. And I'm sure of this: He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The, bring it to completion. This word completion in the Greek that's the same word for perfection. What God requires, what God wants, is completion and perfection. And we can't do that on our own. But we can surrender our lives to Jesus, asking Him to be the forgiver of our sins, the Lord of our lives. We can delight in Him. He'll fill us with His Holy Spirit. He'll declare us righteous on account of the righteousness of Christ, who died in the place of all who would put their faith and trust in Him. positionally we're made perfect in Christ and then through this life is this process called sanctification and then when we stand before God by the grace of God it's brought to full completion and we enter into a new heaven and a new earth perfect. Amen. We are in process. We are striving to become what we already are in Christ. I'm going to read from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. My prayer, my hope is that you'll hear In these passages that we read, you'll hear the call of God. He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Here, here's what I believe. I believe after a while we start going to church, we start reading our Bible every week, and we, if we're not careful, we stop being amazed by the grace of God. And it impacts the way we treat people. We, we, we start thinking that we're the star of the show. And we fail to recognize the great grace that God has given us. Amen? What are we saved from? What did he say in Ephesians 2? The deadness of our sins, right? We were dead, spiritually dead. We we walked in the course of this world. There's there's societal pressures to do the wrong thing. Spiritual forces, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, so, So we're set free from these societal pressures because we can find strength in Christ. We're set free from being dominated by evil spiritual forces, such as Satan. And then he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, we're set free from our own sinful desires, those destructive desires that take over in our lives. And we're set free from the righteous anger of God against our sins. All of those things are gifts from God by God's grace. We're saved by God for God. Amen. So we've seen that God requires perfection. We've seen that no one's perfect. We've seen that God provides perfection for his people. And for we must recognize that to receive the gift of Christ's perfection, we must repent and put our faith in Christ. By the grace of God, we must come to knowledge. That I'm a sinner. That I can't save myself. I must turn to God and put my faith and trust in Jesus. So I want to remind you of a couple passages. John chapter three says there. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see the rule, the dominion, the power of God, unless you're what? Born again. Some people say born again Christian. If you're a Christian, you're born again, right? If you're born again, you're a Christian. That's... Right. There, there's some people that have mocked this, and said, "Well, I was. I think I was born right the first time." I, I don't know how to say this really kindly, but no, no, we, we we've got issues. Right. We're born with selfish, sinful desires and inclinations, and we need to be set free. Amen. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In in, in other words, it's not human efforts going to get you saved, right? You need to be cleansed. And filled. That's what I think the water and spirit reference is. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, you are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Did you get that? You can know a lot of facts. You can be really religious and not understand what it means to truly trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Those, by the way, are not the words of a mere man, right? And here's a verse that The light has come into the darkness, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Even even to come to Christ requires a working of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're praying is happening through the preaching of the Word, the sharing of the Word, every day. Amen? for me one of one of the alarms going off in my life is the fact that for a few months now the beginning of the month it's been time to have a baptism service and we haven't had anybody been baptized and more importantly the alarms going off in my life and saying when is the last time you you prayfully positioned yourself and got in a conversation about Jesus with someone who didn't know him. Right? If we truly believe that God requires that there is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that puts its faith in Christ instead of in self, then isn't that a message we'd want to get to our neighbors? John 6, 26 through 40 says this. Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from the heavens to eat. Jesus Then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. praise the lord I, I, I wrote a section in a little booklet i wrote about lessons i learned as a volunteer fireman and one of the chapters was i just came for the beer because what ha- what happened is there was a change in the, in the city ordinance that made it illegal for alcohol to be to be purchased and kept at the fire hall, right? And when that law passed and the liquor left the refrigerator, some of the firemen left the fire department. Which brought me to the conclusion they really weren't there to fight fires, right? Sometimes we're distracted by the blessings of God and we lose sight of God. And Jesus says, the only reason you're coming after me is because I've been feeding people, right? But what you really need from me is salvation from your sins. Acts two thirty-seven through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut it to the heart, this is Peter's preaching, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just leave it, leave it right there. Today, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. What must we do? What does God require? What does God want? What God wants for us is completion and perfection. And that's a good thing because he's a great loving God. Amen? I remember I was coaching one time and and I told an athlete, I said, please don't ask me to lower my expectations of you. Did you catch that? That would be no favor to you. For many people, they say, hey, God, can't you just cut us a break and lower the expectations? Our God says, I'm going to leave the expectations right where they are, and I'm going to come down. That's what he did in history, right? And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, bled and died to lift us up. Amen? So the alarm clock's going off in your life. Maybe for the first time you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Banking your hope of heaven on Christ. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. The truth is that alarm clock's been going off. You knew it last night when you took one, one more drink than you should have. Or when you looked at that pornography. Or when you yelled at your spouse. The reality is you know that you can't pretend anymore. You know the only hope for you, the only hope for me, is Jesus. And what God requires, God provides through Christ. Amen? I'd love love to have people mark that box and pray. Maybe you need to take a step of faith and get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but it shows that God has worked in your life and it's a testimony. And then there's always that mark there on there, I believe the Lord is leading me too. I I would love to hear people say, this is the alarm clock that's been going off in my life. I've awakened to it. I'm aware of it. And this is the action I need to take. I realize that there's a reason that my co-workers don't think I really believe in Jesus. The way I live my life, what I say with my words or what I don't say. I realize that some of my actions in my home, someone might say, some of the things I do at home makes it harder for my children to rejoice in the Lord. The only purpose of conviction is to lead us to the cross to find forgiveness and joy. The joy factory, call it a fun factory, vacation Bible school, the joy factory is being set free from our sins, amen. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd use every life here and every gift given by your grace for your glory. In Jesus' name.